Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Hey, happy Friday, everybody. It's a uh, long week. I'm glad this week is over with. We uh, tough, tough week this week. We lost Steve Jobs, so um, that's always a tough one. Hey, you got a Mac from him before he died. How's that, Adam? Well, you know, it's one of the last ones before he died, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, of course, I say that a couple million or so, right? Because I bought no, it, just it was... like, well, I just bought this like two or three weeks ago. So, yeah. I mean, I, you got to figure that uh, it's maybe a month ago. You got to figure a couple million have been sold in between now and then. Yeah, that's sad. I, I, you know, we have a poll out on the marketing tech blog and and just trying to get a feel for people. Um, of course, it's a Zoomerang poll. Um, our our sponsor, sponsor right? As I, I'm paid to say that. So, um, but it'll be interesting. What do you think? You think they're going to make it without him? Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, you know he spent the last ten years almost grooming this Tim Cook guy. You know, and uh, um, yeah, you know, he as, as uh, fastidious as he was, I, I find it hard to believe that. He didn't plan for the day when he wasn't going to be around, especially knowing that he had cancer. Yeah, I I I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, well, it's tough to see him go. And and on the line, who I've kept waiting now for a minute is uh, we have uh, Joe Chernoff from Eloqua. Hi, Joe. Hey guys, how are you? And uh, happy to have you on board. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, are, so are you a Mac guy, Joe, or PC guy, or iPhone guy? Um, yeah, all iOS. Um, I made the switch uh, about a year and a half ago, and um, I was actually in the Apple store when that news um, came down about Mr. Jobs. And, yeah, I mean, it's a tragedy for this country. It's a tragedy tra- tragedy for business as well. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, did you see the uh, – did you happen to see the article on The Onion? No, I didn't. <laughs> it was – It was. Uh, I, won't, I, won't, I won't say the F word, but it was – it was the last effing American who knew what he was doing is dead now. <laughs> I, you know, I've seen that in um, I've seen the headline in Friends news feeds. I just haven't clicked the link. <laughs> I'm gonna a, have to check that out. Yeah. I haven't seen that either. It's a it's a thing of beauty, you know. I, but you know, that's I was telling someone like, you know, there's a lot of people I know that there's Mac cult folks that. You know, they carry around a Mac because it's the cool thing to do, and they feel like they're different and everything else. And and uh, and I especially uh, I think in those early days of, of Mac when it really was kind of against the grain. But I gotta tell you, it's it's you know for me it's um, you know one is uh, I, I tell people there's a good return on investment that I can have a MacBook Pro for five years, you know, instead of buying a few PCs. I still love Microsoft. I have. At home, we have a, a Windows machine that's fantastic and um, has a lot of miles on it. And Windows 7, it's working, it's working great. But um, but there's just something about the pursuit of perfection that Steve Jobs had. Uh, I'll tell you a quick little story about how remarkable that company is. So um, about I don't know eight months ago, I may or may not have dropped my MacBook Pro. Um, According to Apple, I never dropped my MacBook Pro, and I brought it in to um, see if they could fix it. It was sort of haywire, and um, I brought it at I brought it in at close of business at about 6:30 p.m. on a Thursday night. They shipped it out to have it repaired off-site, and at opening of business Monday morning, I had my Mac back, no cost out of my pocket with. You know every imaginable internal mechanism repaired or replaced. How they did that in one business day, and shipped it and had it shipped back is, um, you know, it's a, it's a logistical anomaly that that's even possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and I've read, you know, there's lots of stories online, like you know, in in factories where the same electronics, you know, for some of the major manufacturers as Apple are shipped. You know where there's two more review stations, you know, on the Apple side compared to the <laughs> other side that they they pay for that extra, you know, that extra, um, 
you know, that extra quality, that extra piece of service. So I, I think it's worth the extra expense. Now, I, you know, like I said, nothing against Windows or anything either, but, but, uh, but I made the move, you know, after a friend, Bill, bought me, he bought me an Apple TV, and I cursed him ever since because now we have, you know, three MacBook Pros in my house, an Apple TV at my house, an Apple TV in the office, a Mac mini server, an iMac, and two cinema displays. <laughs> so we're... we're uh, Meaning that you help them become one of the world's largest financial tech companies, right? That's what you're trying yeah, to say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was the most expensive $99 purchase of anyone's life. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I joked It wasn't about. even their, their expense, yeah, it is, yeah. right? And that doesn't even count all the money that I sunk into iTunes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it is. It's sorry to see him go, and and hopefully, you know, like Adam said, I I hope that he he did, you know, I hope that he really worked hard at that grooming because I have a feeling like he was the last guy standing, you know, with any advancement, with any release, he was that last guy yeah. really pushing them to take it. Just and that extra notch better. That extra yeah. notch. You know, yeah, it, 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 it's it's funny. People make names for themselves and, and you know, and whatever it is that they do, right? And some people really rise above and make names for themselves worldwide and globally. And you know, a lot of people I don't think they really realize the impact that people like uh Jobs and, and Wozniak and, and Bill Gates yeah. have had on the world. I mean, literally, you know, at some point, probably somebody else would have done it if they hadn't been there. But their vision has literally changed the world in the 38 years that I've been alive. Well, and multiple, know? multiple times, like Debbie, Debbie Wheel was um, writing on her blog, um, just a great lady, but she was writing on her blog how, you know, the first time she thought about Mac was she was thinking about desktop publishing, you know, that... It was the first time in her life that she actually got to write something and print it. Well, that brought me back to a memory, and that was, you know, I worked in newspapers for 10 years. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a desk without a Mac running Quark on it for paginating the newspaper. Like, it literally changed. We changed from plates to digital technologies because of, largely because of Macs and Quark, you know. an entire industry changed, and all well, people think about today is iPad and iPhone. But this is like this. The, that, that was the second revolution, yeah. right? The first revolution was, you know, just the cut of the PC being mass produced, yeah. and put together back in the late seventies, right? Yep. And then what you're talking about transforming an industry from a uh, plates and mechanical situation over to a completely digital situation, you know. And, and uh, you know, my whole point was is that just, uh, you know, in a span of almost uh, 34, 35 years from when they started Apple, was it 76 or 78? Yeah, something like that. Whatever it was, you know, they between uh, them and, and Bill Gates and Microsoft, you know, they've infiltrated every aspect of every industry of our lives and, well, and transformed them. And back then they took the education Industry by storm. You know, I don't know if you remember. Well, when he left, when he left, I say left, when he got fired from Apple, <laughs> yeah. right? He went and created his own company, which was education oriented. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, but that was next. But even before that, Apple was really selling to universities uh, a ton. You know, I remember my first physics class, and I'm showing my age here, but my first physics class, it was all done, you know, on a Mac. You know, that's the way we had everything set up. So it. Pretty, you know. So all you young people out there listening, <laughs> it's just kind of cool. And and so I, I can't wait to see what's next. And and uh, I just hope, like I said, that pursuit of perfection. And that's part of the reason why I say I carry around a Mac and that we have them in the shop is I I just kind of grew to appreciate that, you know what you do business the right way and you don't you know you don't try to cut an inch here and there, just do it. Do it the right way. So, I'm just impressed that you took a physics class. <laughs> <laughs> you, will, you know, I was an engineer for uh, for a long time until I figured out all the business guys were going out and getting drunk every night. You know, they had better grades than we did. So, uh, I, t- I took a Pascal programming class in high school, 
And I remember I was on the second or third day of the class, and I turned to the person next to me, and I said, I have no idea what anybody is talking about. It's just, it was so far into my brain that I had to drop that class because that was going to be my first F. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, let's let well let's talk about you for a little bit. Um, Joe, tell us about your your background in the industry and how you came to be where you are. Sure. Um, so my background is largely on the communications and and public relations side. Um, and for for the five years before I joined Eloqua, I ran communications and and later marketing and communications for um, a word of mouth marketing company called Buzz Agent. So um, they were a real hot company for a while, and yeah. still doing some great stuff. They're kind of more plugged into social media now, which is a, a good move for them. And they recently had a you know a pretty successful exit, so people are feeling pretty good over there. Um, but along the way, I got talking to um, I got talking to Eloqua, and they asked me to come in and and to run not only public relations and analyst relations, but to kind of deploy a um, a, a global social media strategy. So I made that switch. I made that switch a couple years ago, and uh, my role kind of evolved along the way from um, from kind of traditional communications with some social media bolted onto the side to um, really the head of content. So I kind of act in in some ways as the um, editor in chief of the company's. Um, I would say publishing arm, but we don't technically have a publishing arm, but to the extent that the company views itself as a publisher, sure. I act as the editor-in-chief of, of, of mindset, if you will. Well, it's a good mindset, right? I mean, I think I think that's the direction that, that a lot of companies are finding themselves these days is that everybody's now a content publisher, you know, if you, if you want to have, um, you know, if you really want to grow some inbound leads online. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of companies are kind of um, echoing that battle cry, but the first the first shift that needs to be made is a cultural one, and and that's a real kind of uncomfortable shift to make for many companies. Yeah, and talk talk about that some more. So, like, you have to shift from. I think the simplest way to put it is from creating content about what you sell to creating content about what you know. Mm. Um, and in a way, it's like, you know, your content and what you sell don't necessarily need to be divorced, but they should be experiencing a trial separation, right? Like they <laughs> they they can't live together anymore. Yeah. And and I I think that that is what's uncomfortable for 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 most organizations and even many marketing departments within organizations. We're so programmed to take pride in what we sell. Um, and to kind of want to polish it up and, and make it shiny, happy products, that sometimes we forget that, you know, our customers buy more than just our product, right? They're responsible for more than just um, the functions that we supply tools to, to, to help them succeed at. And so what you need to do is to start thinking more about all of the concerns that your buyers may have, some of which relate to what you sell and some of which don't, but you can create content around all of those needs and be kind of um, be fresh in their mind whenever they're thinking about, in our case, marketing or in another company's case, whatever it is that, um, you know, the, the kind of broader interpretation of their function. Well, and I, I, I love that, you know, I love the first analogy that you opened up with, and that's that trial separation between sales and, and um, you know, really providing value to the people coming to your site. I, I, I've been preaching to people now for a long time that, that you know, there's there's really everything kind of rolls down to two, two distinct steps, and that's, you know, finding your audience, finding that, you know, the people that you need to be talking to, but then providing them value. You know, yes. it's not it's not about you selling. It's about, you know, them, you know, you being gracious enough or or being good enough with your content that they're that they're going to give you the time of day. Um and the only way that they're going to do that is honestly if you're not selling them, if you're helping them instead. And and I I really believe, you know, it's a core of, you know, what what 
what we do, and obviously it's a core of Eloqua, and, and you know it's great that they took that step a couple years ago, and that's that you know the marketing tech blog isn't just isn't just a blog; it's it's the place where we're building our authority online, and we're helping marketers online, and we're creating a welcoming atmosphere where they can then you know engage with us deeper if they'd like you know some additional help. You know, in, in I think you're a hundred percent right, and um, it's a, it's slightly removed. But we we're just talking about Apple, and you think about if you go into the Apple Store and maybe you've bought a product and you sign up for their one-to-one service. So for you know ninety-nine bucks a year, you can take unlimited classes in everything from making a video to using the Lion OS, right? Um, and that's a service they're providing you. They, it's not a high-margin service. Their staff is providing you with an incredible amount of time. But, oh, while you're in the store, you may happen to pick up a, a, a new AirPlay speaker. Or while you're in the store, you may pick up Apple TV. Uh, so you end up buying more because you're enjoying a value-add service. And, and I see content as sort of our one-to-one, right? It, it's not anything we make money on per se, but it is a positive association with the brand, and hopefully those people go on to buy some Apple TVs or some AirPlay speakers. We just happen to call those marketing automation products. Well, and, and you know, I think it was this myth, you know, back in the day when software as a service was the, you know, kind of the the flavor du jour, and it was where you know investors were pumping all their money. Was the idea was, oh my God, we can just create software online. We don't have to support anybody. We can upgrade it whenever we want. And we've got this magical thing where people pay us every month for life, you know. And and what what it really what really transpired was all these software as a service companies learned that they couldn't keep customers unless they helped them. You you, you had to help your customers be successful. It wasn't enough for Eloqua to sign a client. It was that Eloqua had to actually give them guidance and, and mentoring and all of the tools that they needed to be successful in utilizing the tool set. And, and that requires, you know, all of this engagement, you know, engagement online, uh, engagement through the web, through blog posts, through, you know, you guys have a great slide share channel, um, through all of these different avenues. Um, you have to continue helping those clients. If you don't, then they're not going to be successful and 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 they they don't stay. You you are you couldn't be more right. You know, we know that the more successful a client is, the more um you know, the more predictable their retention becomes. And it's for that reason that I believe we were the first company in this kind of broader category to um, create a um, a discipline and a title called customer success managers. We have a division in the organization that is dedicated to nothing but making sure our clients are successful. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and it, I love that. You know, I love when they're even called client success managers. And Jen, you know, we, we often call her our client advocate. You know, her job isn't to look out for the company. It's it's to look out for her clients, you know. And, and you know, we'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the company and try to keep it afloat. But it's her job to make sure our clients are happy. <laughs> yeah, and so is there like a natural tension between the two of you, like a constructive tension that yeah. you're representing two points of view? <laughs> So let's move on. <laughs> yeah, there there absolutely is, but it's on purpose. We yeah. want it that way, you know. I want Jen always to be, you know, kind of on our case as far as what the deadlines are and who's expecting what and everything else because um, it makes me work more effectively, make pri- makes me prioritize better. Um, and and ultimately, you know, it keeps our clients moving along, which is which is what we want. The question is, does Jen want it that way? <laughs> does Jen want it that way? I cracked the whip. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> oh man! Well, if we have a we have a guy in the in the chat room, Dennis Damon. Oh. Um, do you know Dennis? I know him well. Oh, that's good. So he said that he was at uh, he just got back from the DMA annual in Boston, um, so the Direct Marketing Association annual. It was pretty interesting that he mentioned that because I, I I piped in and asked him if uh, 
you know, what, what they were talking about there. And he said that um, there seemed to be a much larger portion of the classes and keynotes directed at digital marketing and more specifically uh, social media. Uh, and he said uh, now that Matt Bloomberg is the DMA chairman, uh, he expects bigger change in the future. That's, that's great to hear. I, uh, I belonged to the DMA probably, you know, 15 years ago. And they didn't know what online was back then, so, hmm. so that's 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 great to see them making the, that that change. He's a real champion for, um, you know, Dennis is a real t- champion for not only digital marketing, but um, you know, digital marketing done the right way, digital marketing that you know adheres to government standards, digital marketing that respects the privacy of of um, message recipients. He's a he's a real advocate for the consumer. Oh, that's awesome, and it's. D. Damon, if anybody wants to follow uh, Dennis on Twitter, um, so so check him out. Um, and he's, oh, it looks like he's spoken at a couple online marketing summits too. So, and that's where I actually met Steve Woods. Is that right? At an OMS event. Yeah, it was it was speaking. I think out of uh, it was either out of Austin. He had just come out with um, what was it digital uh, body language? Yeah, thanks, digital body language. Boy, I can't believe I forgot the name of that. It's I think it's actually on our shelf somewhere right now. <laughs> He's got a new one um, called the Revenue Engine. Yeah, that, um, that came out a couple months back. Yeah, and and uh, I absolutely loved what he was saying, you know, back then, and and you guys are continue continuing to tout it now. Um, you guys just came out with the Grande Guide to Content. Yeah, so we have this whole series of of ebooks called our Grande Guide series, and um, our partner, our DataViz partner, uh, Jess Three, designed them, and it looks like um, they're all designed to kind of look like a um, a torn and tattered moleskin notebook that is, you know, coffee stained and and um, and just sort of loved to death is the feel we wanted out of it that, you know, you should throw it away because it's beat to hell, but the information contained in it is so valuable that you just can't bring yourself to part with it. <laughs> so that was the, you know, and, and we spent a lot of time on design, and, and that was the design philosophy behind these um, these guides. And um, it's funny because, you know, I, I sort of fight like hell for um, some for design in, in, in the content we create, and... Um, and investing in it and thinking hard about it and being a little, um, you know, um, off-brand when we when we publish it. And uh, I'd struggled to figure out a way to articulate why this matters. I just felt that it mattered. Um, but then I went to a uh, I went to content marketing world and, and uh, Michael Stelzner uh, spoke Great. and he said uh, the way to the brain is through the eyes. And I said. There I have it. Next time somebody wants to talk about design and content, why design matters, I'm going to quote him, um, uh, social media examiner, right? Oh, and, and he nobody does it better, right? He's great. He's great. So um, you know, it's a number two blog behind Mashable. So I mean, he's doing something right. Uh, and so the series, this Grande Guide series, is all. Um, the theme, obviously, from the coffee stain notebook is that it's subject matter expertise in the time it takes you to finish your morning coffee. Uh, and we really try to stick to that brand promise. I'll tell you a bit of a, a side story. We, One of our guides, we've done eight, one was a bit wordy, and it kind of it carried on a lot longer than a grande coffee would have um, allowed. And so, Somebody called me out on it, and somebody said, "You know, this is um, the the this Grande guy took me, you know, 30 minutes to read, and I don't know about you, but I don't have that much time to drink my coffee." And I thought, "Thank God, this person said that. Like somebody gets this brand promise, and the public, or at least one member of the public, is policing us." Yeah. And like that was for me the single highest uh, form of validation I could get for the series is that somebody was asking me to, you know, stick to the promise we made. That's awesome. Yeah, and you're absolutely. You know, we keep telling people, um, you know, when they're building their sites, less site, less pages, less pages. Stop, <laughs> stop loading. Yeah. Get to the point. Why? Yeah. Are they, why are they there? Then do everything else supplemental. Do things like white papers and case studies and, you know, use cases and, um, you know, blog posts and everything else to go, you know, explain that outer fringe to everybody. But 
but you know, keep it brief. Get straight to the point. Um, mm-hmm. We just I just wrote some rules for email, and the you know the first one was get you know get to the point. Is there? Yeah. Point? yeah. Um, you know, pretend you're writing to Walt Mossberg, right? If you're yeah. going to write more than three sentences, he's not going to read your email. Or, or Seth Godin, right? Yeah, yeah, either of them. Uh, I once wrote Walt Mossberg, and I was terrified to do it because I'd heard he was kind of tough on PR people. And he responded, and he said, I'm not interested in the company, but I really like this email. You got right to the point. And, I, and that was, you know, pretty high praise. I was yeah. pleased that day. That's awesome. Well, and he must he must feel, you know, 500 emails a day like that. So you you have to get straight to the yeah. And that's what we try to do in these in these grande guides. Um, you know, they're all about 2,500 words to 3,000 words. And you know, the idea. So the the philosophy behind it is, I looked in my, I have two trays on my desk. Do one is labeled. The other one is labeled read. I'm good at keeping my do one empty, but my read bin gets higher and higher and higher. And I see this like stack of white papers in my read bin, and I think nobody reads them. I can't be the exception to the rule. I don't think people actually read a white paper. I'd say that a lot of it is because you know, when we opened up the show, we were talking about that every, or we were talking about it beforehand. I think that everybody's a publisher now, you know, but not everybody's a good publisher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's there's a ton of crap out there, and yeah. and it's you know you have to make something of quality if you want it to rise to the top, and and you know, so in your read list, you know, there's probably authors and brands and resources that you know always do a good job, and you know, they're probably at the top of your reading list and the other stuff kind of falls behind. Completely. And then there's the other part that you just like at a glance see word count and if it's a white page with, you know, 10-point font filling the entire page, odds are I'm not going to read it. Yeah. Um, you know, unless it's my bonus plan or something, <laughs> then I'll read it. Um, which is why design matters so much is that, you know, again, to Stelzner's point that the weight of the brain is through the eyes. But what we also tried to do is to take sort of the what would be chapters or sections in a big honking white paper and break them into their own sort of micro papers. Yeah. And so we'll do the Grande Guide to Lead Scoring or the Grande Guide to Lead Nurturing. These are core components of what a marketing automation company is proficient at, right? And so there'll be a paper on each of those topics. Um, and, and ultimately, if you kind of piled up our Grande Guide series, you would have a heck of a book on marketing automation. We just kind of dole it out to the public in, 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 um, you know, in spoonfuls yeah. rather than one giant asset. Um, and even within those guides, you know, you guys do a great job of, you know, kind of getting one idea to a page where people can just flip and, you know, when, when it's the topic that they need to dig into, they can just flip to it and, and read it in detail. That's that's exactly the hope is that it's almost they're try we try to write them in a nonlinear fashion and make them like modules. So if somebody doesn't really care why lead scoring matters, but they want to know what the future of lead scoring will look like, they can just jump to that module and be done with it. That's awesome. Hey, we're going to have a question from Harry Howe here in a second. I'm going to run a short ad first. Uh, This is one of our sponsors, uh, Zoomerang, who I'm sure that you guys know all about. But uh, Zoomerang surveys and polls, we use Zoomerang on the site, and we've been uh, getting some great results. It's it's interesting when you start asking your audience questions, um, how much more value it brings the the actual content uh, to to your blog or service. So here we go. I think here we go. Have you ever wanted to survey your customers or employees but thought it was just going to take too much time or cost too much? Well, it doesn't have to. With Zoomerang Online Surveys and Polls, you can sign up for free and send an unlimited number of surveys and polls. It takes just minutes to create and send a professional-looking survey. Zoomerang makes it easy to get started with a newly updated user interface and over 100 professional templates you can customize. It's easy, fast, and best of all, free. 
The data you get from surveys can be invaluable to help you make better business decisions and plan for the future. Get started today by signing up for a free account at Zoomerang.com. There's a, our famous Paul Poteet. So, um, Harry, did you have a question I, for Joe? I did. Uh, I, I am curious what you would say as to the threshold of when somebody ought to be looking at marketing automation. So, you know, there there would be a, some point at which um, a company kind of meets some kind of critical mass where where this makes sense. Could you maybe talk about that, please? And, and Joe, maybe start out for folks in our audience that don't really understand, you know, marketing automation is kind of this, you know, big general term, you know, what compared to, let's say, just getting an email provider or a website provider or whatever, explain what marketing automation is as a whole. Well, and and when you're done with that, uh, when you're done explaining what it is, you you know, so many times I've heard from a social media perspective, don't automate, don't do this. Explain why I would go into it when a lot of a lot of the advice out there from a social aspect is oh, interesting. Is, is not to do it. I mean Doug, you, you know what I'm talking about, uh, right? There you go. So you got a pile of questions on you, Joe. Shoot. I'm sorry, my line is breaking up right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well, now I'm at, it's funny, I'm actually getting feedback right now. Um, so marketing automation is um it can best the, the metaphor we use is digital body language. That is, marketing automation allows a marketer to read what we call the digital body language of its prospects. So every time you have an interaction with a particular prospect, whether that interaction is them visiting your website. Can you hear me? Oh, um, that they either visit your website or meet with you at an event, or click through an email offer, or and we're moving closer and closer to accept an offer delivered on a social channel, that activity is given a score. And that score then helps the marketer understand who looks ready to purchase and who looks like they might need more information before they kind of kick over that magic tripwire and get routed to a sales rep. When they're put in that kind of holding pen where they haven't received quite enough information or they haven't taken just the right desirable actions um, that should rise to the level of sales, they're put in what's called a, a lead nurturing program. And that lead nurturing program matches content to the behaviors that that individual engaged with on the website or engaged with in in, in past promotions. And so it helps the marketer not only stay in contact with that person, but contact with that person on the most relevant topics. So it's much more than just email. In fact, email is only one delivery channel for a marketing automation program. There was a really insightful question in there um, about, you know, automation and is that consistent with sort of the, the, the social ethos, which is that, um, you know, this is, this is the era of real conversation, not kind of um, not bots and not, not um, automated dialogue. The central character in any marketing automation system is a human being. So we don't advocate just simply batching and blasting the same message to hundreds of thousands or tens of millions of people, depending on the database size. We advocate, and what our technology allows, is for the kind of micro-matching of messages based on the individual's both explicit and implicit interests. So what, who they are, what their title is, what their role is, and their past interactions with you. All of that is kind of wrapped up into one um, visual we call the digital body language, and, and we match content um, to the individual's digital body language. And in social channels, we don't automate any messages. Every message that Eloqua creates in a social channel is you know, typed in by a real person, and, and that's what we encourage our clients to do as well.
Oh, it looks like we might have lost Joe. Hello? Hey, Joe, you there? Hey, I lost you for a moment. Yeah, sorry. We, we went dead for a second. So, um, so we were talking with, you know, Harry's question, when does, when does marketing automation start to enter, you know, kind of the conversation of the marketer or the, the strategy? At what point in a company's, you know, kind of sophistication uh, should they start looking at these tools? So there are lightweight tool sets from different vendors, really, you know, some great companies that are, are designed for a very small company, the kind of S and the SMB. So you take a company like HubSpot and they sell a kind of a, a lightweight version of marketing automation to, you know, a dentist's office, right? Um, and with that so on that end of the spectrum, what they're focused on is is inbound marketing, creating enough content that you're showing up high enough in the SERPs that people are finding your particular business. And then once you get those names, having some logical way to continue an online dialogue with them. So that's at one end of the spectrum. We're sort of at the other end of the spectrum where um, we sell to a lot of enterprises, global companies who need a, a more kind of sophisticated um, system for, you know, multi-country communication and, you know, multiple product line communication. And so for us, what matters is the company really needs to have a, a CRM system in place. So, you know, we integrate well with Salesforce and Oracle. Um, and we kind of act as a marketing engine that's attached to their CRM system. And for us, most of our clients have about you know ten million dollars in revenue or, or higher. That's kind of the, the the cutoff point. And you do need, like I said, this is a um, the central character in any marketing automation technology is a marketer, and um, you do need a, a resource that's um, that's really dedicated to the marketing operations function, um, much of which is marketing automation, but not all of which. And and there's kind of it seems like there's kind of um two, um, uh, let's say, two savings here, right? One is one is obviously that you can increase uh, response rates and increase conversion rates by driving a lead uh, logically through a sales process um, where you couldn't have done that, you know, before through a manual process. And then I guess the, the second side of it is that from a marketing standpoint, the marketers get to um, get to take and optimize a channel and optimize the scores and optimize that and then move on to the next problem that they need to, right? So that they're not just always shifting, pushing data and pulling data all day. They get to advance, you know, their marketing through through the technology. There's, yeah, and there's actually, so those are both correct. And, and then there's a third component, which is predictability. So what what we're really helping our clients do is to take a, a look back at the marketing programs that they've run and even those that they're running now in real time and be able to identify exactly which program is driving what revenue and then they can move levers accordingly. They, If they know that events or this particular event is driving disproportionately high leads, than say a webinar, then they can dial back the webinar spend and dial up the event spend and really optimize the um, optimize their marketing investment, all with the focus on revenue. That's awesome. I'd like to go back to your comment that you know the the hub of all of this is a person. I'm going to guess that a lot of individuals read automation as being, hey, this is hard work and I can just press a button and it's all automated so I can go home at four o'clock. <laughs> so yeah. kind of talk to us a little bit about, you know, who, what, what, you know, what is the successful marketer who is behind this? What, what does he or she look like? What, what, what's that skill set that's really needed to drive this? Yeah, um, for from my perspective, the um, she looks a lot like a woman named El Wolf. Um, so she's the one that sort of runs our demand gen engine. Um, but we have like I didn't realize before I came to Eloqua that there is this whole um, left brain branch of marketing that is um, marketers that are proficient at mathematics, 
right? Marketers that are are proficient at figuring out at each stage of the purchase funnel um, how to, to minimize leaks and maximize throughput, maximize velocity, and it is this entirely um, discrete discipline called marketing automa- uh, marketing operations, and um, and they look and feel a lot like a um, they, they, they're like a hybrid between what you would imagine an IT person to be and what you would imagine a marketer to be. So it's, a, it's this um, entirely different marketing persona that, frankly, two years ago I didn't know existed. I thought marketers all talked about making pretty websites. <laughs> not, not all of them, Joe. No. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of them would like pretty well, but not not all not all of them. Well, that's that's really fascinating. And and let's let's dive into you know the Grande Guide to B two B content marketing. Um, when we say B two B, just just for folks that are listening, that's um, businesses that are selling to businesses as opposed to B two C, which is businesses selling to consumers. When you're talking specifically to a B two B content marketing strategy, what's different than, let's say, a B2C one? Well, here's a dirty little secret to that guide. You asked the question I hoped nobody would. Um, the B2B is in there for SEO purposes. Uh, <laughs> it's a term we optimize against. There is not a single message in that book that wouldn't be relevant to a B2C um, marketer. We put B2B in there because we largely sell to B2B companies. We sell to some B2C companies, but primarily B2B. It's a it's a term we're optimizing against, and I even hedged my bets in the writing of the book. It says with a focus on the B2B buyer. So it, I, you know, I I uh, I kind of hedge my bets a little bit. Um, for us, the difference between a B2B buyer for a content marketer, a B2B buyer, and a B2C buyer is I know a lot more about the pain points that my, uh, that Eloquiz customers struggle with because we sell to marketers. If I sold, you know, Snapple, um, there's one on my desk. If I sold Snapple, you know, a, a, a wider cross-section of buyers would buy that consumer product than would buy our marketing automation solution. So it's a little bit um, easier for me to identify the type of content I need to create than it would be for somebody that sells kind of a a mass market consumer product. Um, I'm sure there are some ways that uh, B2B marketing, uh, B2B content marketing is more difficult. That is, it's a more finite, um, it's a a more finite audience and there are, there's a finite number of um, content types that you can use and you have a little more flexibility in the consumer world. But I think the luxury B2B marketing um, professionals have on the content side is, is, is a deeper insight into their buyer. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, as I, as I kind of look at the two, it seems that from a consumer mass, you know, mass side of the equation that I think um, opinions and reviews and things like that might play a larger, you know, uh, a larger role than, let's say, experts or authority that, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to buy a consumer product because um, it really looks cool. My friends all have it. They like it, you know, things like that. But when I look to, you know, let's say investing in a marketing automation system, I'm really looking at the company to see if they have the expertise uh, to help me pull it off, you know, and that they have the authority um, in the space if people recognize them as a leader within the space. Um, I, you know, I don't care who has a, you know, I don't care who has a droid phone, <laughs> you know, whether you're a droid phone expert, you're not going to change my mind about buying a droid phone. But if, if, uh, if all my friends have droids and they love them, then I might go that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, iOS, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be fair here. Come on now. <laughs> Well, we started with a eulogy to Steve Jobs, and now you're hawking droids. <laughs> I, but I I think it places a higher degree of pressure in some ways on a B2B content marketer that you know you got to really bring it because it's a considered purchase, it's a sizable investment, and in many cases somebody's betting their job on your product. Yeah. So your content it just it needn't just be plentiful. It has to um, it has to be substantive as well. Yeah, I, I love I love that you mentioned about saving someone's job because that's uh, 
Doug Thies, who's not here, who's often he's a he's a client of ours uh, with Lifeline Data Centers. Um, Doug often says that his job is to keep his you know keep his clients employed, um, and and it really is true that you know if they have a major outage or whatever, um, that's gonna you know people are gonna get fired over it, and so he has to keep them he has to keep them employed. Yeah, that's a, there's no better way to look at it. Well, let's let's take a pause. Um, now it's the uh, second ad. I know those. It sounds like they ran close together, but we're we're really eating up time here. Um, this is from Slingshot SEO Partners here from a search engine optimization standpoint, um, growing like crazy. They were on the news again uh, yesterday. I saw. Yeah, they were on Channel 13. Um, of course, with thoughts to Steve Jobs. Um, but but uh, let's hear let's hear this one. Searching for a bigger online footprint. Slingshot SEO, helping deserving brands achieve growth through internet searches. A passion to maximize the science of search translates into action plans for deserving brands like yours. Shaping online conversations about your business and making your business more visible to search engines. Slingshot SEO, digital relevance for deserving brands. Visit SlingshotSEO.com for more information or call 888-603-7337. Let them know you heard about them on the Marketing Technology Blog. Well, Joe, um, this is this has been incredibly insightful, and um, let's talk a little bit about where people can follow Eloqua. You know, download this uh, download this guide. Obviously, you know the new book from Steve Woods is important, um, and and picking that up. Um, how, how do people get a hold of Eloqua? So let's do a few things. One is if any of your readers are interested in um, checking out the Revenue Engine by Steve Woods and our Chief Revenue Officer, Alex Schutman, shoot a note to Douglas and I will send 10 free copies um, to one to each of the first 10 people who request it. There you so I'd go. Be, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so, you can, so, let's, so let's do this with that one. Anybody in the chat room, go ahead and... Uh, and email Jen at uh, DK New Media, and uh, and I think we have just about ten folks in there. So uh, so we'll we'll give them to those folks who are always engaged in chatting with us online. Excellent. I'd be happy to send them each a copy. Uh, you can follow Eloqua on Twitter. It's at Eloqua E L O Q U A. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at J Chernov. First initial J. Last name is C H E R N O V. Uh, all of the kind of top of funnel content that I'm responsible for, so the Grande guides we've been talking about, um, I do a lot with infographics. I've kind of quipped that um, I am to content marketing, I, I am to infographics what like George Costanza is to Seinfeld, or, the, or Jason Alexander is to George Costanza. <laughs> that is, I'm like forever now typecast as the infographics guy. Um, so we have our, you know, we've published seven infographics. They're all on our SlideShare channel. Um, as is a piece of content that I'm, I'll be happy to chat about, the Social Media Pro book, which is really the most kind of epic thing we've done here. Um, but that's all slideshare.net slash Eloqua. And you'll see something interesting. Although we've invested heavily in all of these pieces of content, there is no form that will prevent you from accessing any of the information until you give us your name and email. There's a form in the back of all of our content. So we we put the form in the back to say, like, look, if you're interested, I don't want to put a form in the front because it blunts this content from spreading. But if you really love the content and you want to stay in touch with us, I, I want to give you the means to do that. So there's a form in the back. And if somebody likes the content, isn't quite sure about Eloqua, but really likes the content, well, maybe we guilt them into giving us their information. Um, so everything is accessible for free without a gate. Fantastic. And and uh, and talk to us a little bit about the um, some key clients that, that you guys have uh, with Eloqua. 
also, you know, companies like, well, we have a lot of enterprise companies, so you have to be a little bit cautious with uh, which of those you mention because enterprise companies tend to be a little bit on the uh, conservative side. Sure. Uh, but we work with Adobe, we work with Dow Jones, ADP, um, NetApp, uh, Fidelity as a client. And then we work with a number of companies that, you know, we consider SMB, but companies that are in the, you know, $10 million and up revenue range. Fantastic. Well, Joe, I, I can't thank you enough. This was um, this was just a really great show, and, and I appreciate you taking the time out. Um, did anybody else have questions? No? Yeah. Come I on. love the infographics. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say that, hate to say that, but I absolutely love the infographics. And I, I yeah, Mohammed's from uh, HCC MIS. They're uh, um, a, a, uh, an insurance uh, company, a travel insurance company online. And they, they you guys do your share of infographics, we right? We do our share of infographics. We put out several this year. Um, but I always come back and look at his. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you've got infographics in 15 minutes as one of the presentations on SlideShare. So yeah, 85,000 views that presentation. Yeah, you know, people liked that one. That's but awesome. I'm waiting for the first headstone that is an infographic of the deceased's life. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I would, but I don't well, want to end it in the middle. Mine so. now. <laughs> Mine would be all flames at the bottom. Oh, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, Joe, th th thanks again. This has been uh, incredibly um, educational and, and um, hopefully enlightening to the audience as well. Um, again, Joe Chernoff from uh, Eloqua. Uh, Eloqua.com, at Eloqua, SlideShare.net, slash Eloqua, and, uh, and of course, Twitter.com, uh, slash uh, J. Chernoff, uh, C-H-E-R-N-O-V. And um, thanks, thanks, everybody. This has just been a great show. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Bye, guys. All right, bye. Where's my clothes? Oh, there it is. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.